now we're going to wrap up Summer in the Psalms. Uh, who's enjoyed this series? Yeah? I think it's been... I think it's been fantastic. One of the things that I love about it is, is we have the opportunity uh, to really just begin to be honest with ourselves about our relationships with God. Um, who here is, is, is a new parent? Like you got kids in your house under the age of three still. We've got a few, right? Few, yeah, yeah. Like, and some of you are so tired you can barely raise your hand up, right? <laughs> Like, it is, it, it is. I remember being a new parent. I have three daughters. They're 14, 11, and 9. Excuse me, 14, 12, and 9. We had a birthday uh, just in the last recent weeks. I got to get that right. She's not in this service, so don't, don't tell her that. But 14, 12, and 9 years old. And, and I remember 14 years ago, November, uh, when my daughter Lily was born, our firstborn child. Anybody, just, just think back with me to your firstborn child. Think back to how beautiful those days were, right? Think back to just how, how perfect everything went. <laughs> Reflect with me on just how energizing it was a time in your life, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. For, for me, it was borderline a nightmare, right? Like, like, I remember our daughter was born, and the beautiful thing about like, modern like, having a baby sort of time is that typically those first couple of days, you've got a lot of help, right? No matter what you choose to do, like whether you're in a hospital or you do something at home or something differently, typically people come around you, right? And they're, they're there to help you. We had our daughter uh, in, at Virginia Baptist Hospital in Lynchburg, Virginia, and, and we were, yeah, shout out Lynchburg, I don't know if there's more than I thought there would be. Awesome. That's great. That's great. No, so we, we had our first daughter uh, there, and I remember, one, that it, I was so thankful for nurses that would come in, and, like, they would take her to the nursery, and then we would have, like, some hours of sleep. And, and it was, like, two, you know, almost three days of care that we had right there. As our, and we're like, oh, this is so great. People are so nice. And then they did this really mean thing where they told us we had to go home. Anybody else experience that? How rude. How rude. And so they sent us home. And I remember our first night home with our daughter, Lily. I did not sleep at all. Like, at all. And, and, and I didn't sleep all that well in the hospital because, uh, moms, I, I don't know if you're, I know you went through a lot. Like, I'm not trying to discredit that or anything like that. But we had this, like, it was, I don't even know if it counts as a twin mattress. Like, it, it was a fold-out thing, but it was about 18 inches across, right? And you kind of try to get as much sleep as you can on that as a dad, and you're trying to support mom and, and baby, and you want her to rest because she just went through all this stuff. And so I was just, I was running on no sleep after those three days. We get home, and I remember at, at about 6, 5.45 a.m., I'm on my knees in our kitchenette, and I am just crying <laughs> Father, please let her sleep. Just because I would like to sleep. God, you've got to help us. And, and I just felt like I am not going to survive. Because it felt like every time we would lay down, she would start crying or she would get uncomfortable and it would cause you to wake up. And do you remember that, parents? Like that feeling of, will this ever end? Will they ever sleep? And it feels like one of the roughest 
patches of your life. Now, now here's the thing that I, that I want to just share with you is that um, I don't remember those days every night anymore, right? It gets better. It does. And, and now I have all the wonderful memories that we've, we've shared, you know, the, the, the first trips to Disney World or, or the first time they, you know, they, they took their first steps or the first time they called out Dada instead of Mama, you know, like, I have all of those things, and those are precious to me. But it's during that time frame, like a baby, is it, they're learning how to cry. And so they cry a lot. You see, when, when babies have a need, the response is to cry. When babies hungry, they cry. When they're wet and they need changed, they cry. When they're tired and they need soothing, they, they cry. When they just want to be near you and want you, they cry. Like babies cry. We all agree with that, right? Well, Dr. Russell Moore shares in, in his book, he sh- this book called uh, The Adopt- Adopted for Life, he's, he's describing going through the adoption process in Russia. And as they were in this process, they, they visited a, a, an orphanage uh, seeking for uh, the child that they were going to adopt. And when they walked into the nursery, he notes how eerily silent the nursery was, that, that the babies never cried while they were there. Not because they never needed anything, but because they had learned that no one cared enough to answer. And children who are confident of the love of a caregiver, they cry. I think that American Christians, we are like these orphans. That we have lost the ability to know that when we cry, our caregiver will respond. I I think that it leads to us not crying out like these these babies in this Russian, Russian orphanage. That when hard times come, when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we're in distress, when we need something, we Instead of crying out to God, we simply don't cry. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think our culture tells us that, that we aren't supposed to cry. Men, right? Men don't cry. Men don't wear pink. Sorry, Taylor. You're like one of the manliest dudes in the room. He's a firefighter. He's got big muscles and stuff. But men don't wear pink, right? Men, and men certainly don't cry. We don't show emotion and affection, right? We've had, this, we've had generations of machismo that has poisoned our ability to, to not simply, you know, be weak and admit weakness. We're even afraid of the appearance of what might be determined as weakness. And in so, we, we put out a faux sense of strength. We have this false identity that if we are strong and if we pretend to be strong, then everybody will believe that we're strong, and eventually we will, in fact, be strong. But that's not the case. And many of us are, are dealing with, over 30% of Americans are dealing with some sort of mental health issue, probably more. Uh, uh, we're more isolated than we've ever been. We don't cry out to God, let alone cry out to other friends. Do we even have friendships? And we can see how this has impacted us. It's not just impacted us socially, it's impacted our faith. 
And so we don't, we don't understand how to healthfully deal with when life is hard. Where do we go? What do we do? How do I handle this in a way that is not just being weak and not just being seen as weak, but how do I, how do I make it through this? Psalm 142 is a psalm of lament. Have you ever heard that word lament? You should. If you're familiar with your Bible, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And, and, and it's written by the prophet Jeremiah, and in Lamentations, what he's describing there is the downfall of Jerusalem, that when Babylon finally came in. So, so in, in, in the history of Israel, you have, um, you have Moses, and the people are led out of Egypt, and then from there, they, there's a series of judges. You get through Judges and Ruth, and then you finally get to King Saul and King David and Solomon and so on. And, and after Solomon, you have a divided kingdom. And throughout that divided kingdom, you have a northern kingdom that's known as Israel. You have the southern kingdom that's known as Judah. And during there, there's about five, maybe three, five hundred years where things just don't really go well for the most part. There's a couple of faithful kings in Judah. There are no faithful kings in Israel. And eventually, in, um, in Israel, they are conquered by the Assyrians. And most of the Israelites are dispersed amongst the world. They're, they're lost. Don't really know what happened to them. It's hard to, tr- to trace family lineages and things like that. And then in Judah, you have later in 586, you have the Babylonians who come in and they take over Jerusalem. And so what Jeremiah has is he has the vantage point of being outside of the city of Jerusalem and watching Babylon destroy and siege and take over Jerusalem. He writes a book called Lamentations. And it's basically his crying out to God for the calamity that he's witnessing upon the city of God, the city of, that, that, that they loved so much. For us, we, we don't really know how to lament. We think when we, we come to the Lord, it's always got to be happy and good, and like we can't talk about the bad stuff. It's just got to be the good stuff, Right? Don't give me the bad, just the good stuff. And the Psalms, if anything, we've seen is that they are full of Psalms of lament. In fact, I've seen a number of from 40 to 70 percent. I couldn't tell which one was telling the truth, and I didn't have time to read the entire book of Psalms to count last night. And so um, 40 to 70 percent of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I mean, there's Psalms that, that where there's crying out that is happening. They're bringing this bad stuff to the Lord, not just simply to whine, not just simply to be weak, but to cry out to the Lord. Why? Because lament is an act of worship. And we're going to see that today in Psalm 142. So we're going to answer four questions, and we're going to look at a verse that helps us to understand that, and then we're going to have some application as we go. So if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to open up to Psalm 142, and we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says this, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before Him and tell Him all my troubles. This is, this is the first sign that this is a psalm of lament. 
the crying out. I pour out. That language lets us know he is lamenting. So the question is, what is lament? What is lament? Lament is this. Lament is a tension between the anguish of soul, what we feel inside when things aren't going well, and we just, God, I, I just, I feel bad. I feel bad. It's a tension between that and dependence upon the Lord. How many of you, when you, when you feel bad, you just want to withdraw? You just want to, want to be alone, and you want to isolate. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy, when I get sick, I, I credit to my wife, she, takes, she does take care of me. I don't, I don't want to paint a picture like that, but I, I'm more of just like, I'll just, I'll just take care of it myself. I'll just, just let me rest and let me be, like I'll get my food when I'm hungry. I'll get, I don't want to be a bother to anybody else. Anybody identify with that? You don't want to, to be a burden to somebody else. It's, it's not about just being strong in and of myself or that I don't need anybody. It's not that. It's just, I, I don't want to bother you with my stuff. And the tension of anguish, meaning I, I have trouble, God. I have problems. Things are going poorly in my life, and it looks bleak. And depending on the Lord, because our response to trouble is fight or flight, right? I can either fight through this, I can strengthen myself, and I can, I'll just get rid of all this bad stuff, and you just start swinging. What do I do? What do I got? What are my weapons, Lord? I'm going to get through this. Or to run away. I don't want anything to do with trouble. So if there's trouble here, I'm going that way, Right? And lament is understanding that there's a tension between these two things because fight or flight isn't the appropriate response. What the Lord wants us to do is like a, like a baby, cry out to him. Cry out to him so that he may supply our needs, so that he may be our salvation, so that he may redeem us from where we are. And so the first thing about, about lament is coming to, it's coming to terms with this fact that trouble will always be there. Trouble and trial, there will always be an opportunity at some point in our lives to cry out to the Lord. The question is, am I willing to be dependent upon Him and cry out for Him? Or will I trust in fight or flight to get me through? I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. The next question is, why do I lament? And here's the thing. Lament is the language of not losing it. You ever been in a hard spot and you just feel like, I am going to lose my ever-loving mind? Yeah? When, when hard things happen, and here's the thing. You know, we, there's that old adage about um, uh, bad things happen in threes. I'm just going to tell you that's not true because I've seen them happen in four, five, six, sevens, eights. You know, like, like they keep going. Bad stuff sometimes just gets on a run and you can't stop the roll that it's on. And, and so lament is, is we, we cry out to God. Why? So that we don't lose it. Because at some point, if you trust and fight, you're, you're gonna, the fight's going to give up in you. You're not going to have enough strength. You don't have the strength to fight your battles. You don't. At some point, you will be weakened and you will be beaten. And there's, there's not enough energy and strength to run away from your problems either. 
Because at some point, you're going to be weak, and your problems are going to catch up with you. And so we lament so that we have a language, a way of of figuring out how we're not going to lose our faith. We're not going to lose our minds. We're not going to lose all the progress that God has brought in our lives. Verse 3 says this, When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. You ever felt that? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus, right? No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Now, if you're sitting in here thinking, I have never expressed those words ever, you're a liar. And you need to repent of lying this morning. First and foremost, your sin is preventing you from seeing your father as a father. Here's the thing. When, when we don't lament, when we don't pour this stuff out, we, we're not seeing God for who he is. And, and the truth of the matter is that old song, nobody knows the, the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. It's true. Jesus knows the trouble we've seen. He knows what it's like to be alone, to be abandoned, to suffer. And I'm not just saying on the cross. Like Jesus' suffering was not simply physical suffering. He knows the, the, the feeling of spiritual abandonment, like God's not there. You want to know why? Because on the cross he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The God who promises never to leave us or forsake us forsook Jesus on the cross. And Jesus was pouring out and crying out for his Father. And that's an important thing to understand. You see, we think God doesn't know, but he knows deeper than maybe we even realize that he knows. So in order for us to not lose our faith, to not give up the ghost in this, in, in our hardship, in our trials, we have to learn to lament because le- the lament is the language of not losing it. And the question becomes, well, who can I lament to? And I, and I want you to see this. We can lament to, to God. And we need to see lament through this lens. That when I withhold my lament, when I withhold my crying out to God, when I withhold the the, the bad stuff, giving it back to God, I am withholding my worship of God. Lament is an act of worship. Worship is not only praise. Worship is not only telling God the things that he's done for us. Worship is not only celebration. Worship is not only positive. Worship is simply recognizing God for who he is. And lament is the act of worship of recognizing that God, I don't have it, but you do. I can't save myself but you can. My outlook is bleak, but my hope 
is you. I can't do anything about it. But God, I know and I trust that you can. So consider this. The moments where you decide, I just need to bite my lip and give it everything I got. Or I just need to be quiet because God doesn't want to hear me complaining. Those moments are sinful moments that you are choosing to withhold what is rightfully God's. Your lament belongs to the Lord. It's not yours. It's His. The psalmist says this, verse 5, Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. In other translations, it says, you are my portion in the land of the living. You see, that, that phrase there is this. You see, in Israel, when, when, they were ta- when they were given the promised land, every family that entered the promised land was given a portion of the promised land. And it was theirs forever to be given to their children, grandchildren, and, and, and beyond. In fact, there was a system in the Levitical law that made sure if any, if any person, if any family came into a place where they were so poor and in such hard times that they had to sell their land in order to get money to take care of their family, to take care of themselves, on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, their land was given back to them. <laughs> like, How many of you would feel good about that? knowing that you bought a piece of land off of somebody who was on hard times, got a great deal, they're in the high-level market, and in 50 years or less, the Lord's going to have you give it back. We see our stuff as, as ours, right? But here the psalmist is saying, just like the, the Israelites were given a portion when they were given the promised land, my portion is God, my Father, in the land of the living. So he is my refuge and my strength. In the New Living Translation, it says, you are all I really want in life. Verse 6, hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me. When we cry out to God, we're just we're, we're telling him who he is. You are all I really want in life. You are my refuge. You are my safe place. I am the most safe with you. You've probably got a safe place. It might be your garage. Like you got a pool table in there. Some TVs. Have you got an old video game system or something in there, right? It's the place you go when after the day ends to relax and unwind. But what if you lose that safe place? What if your, your safe space, my safe space used to be, I uh, had this pink chair that, again, I mean, you know, how, how unmanly to have a pink chair as my space. I had this old pink chair that we, we inherited from my wife's grandparents, and, and uh, it was in our den. The den was purple. It was the schoolroom, and it had our kids' stuff in it. My wife's piano was in there, and um, 
is where I used to go to, to just spend time with the Lord. And I had this pink chair. And I used to go there, and I would, I would sit, and I would read the scriptures. And I would pray to God, and I would seek him. And there's so many times where he met me there. So many times where, where I sought after him, and, and he didn't show up yet. But I stuck with it. I kept seeking after him. And he, and he show up. But I don't have that pink chair anymore. So where do I go? I go wherever I can. Because I'm not seeking a pink chair. I'm seeking my refuge and my strength. All I really want in life. My heavenly father. Who loves me. Who cares for me. And in that same way, like that's, that's where we have to be in our relationship with God. Because when we withhold and it becomes hard, we're withholding our worship of him. Finally, it's, you're probably asking, well, Matt, you've, you've laid out these reasons, but what will lament bring? When I, when I do this, what, what ends up happening? What's the results? Well, lament brings balance between suffering and hope. Because it's not always one thing or the other. And if there are Christians in your life that have told you, like, well, if you have suffering, you've got to get rid of that. You should only have the hope of Jesus. They are, they're telling you a lie. Because here's the thing about suffering. Suffering actually helps us to identify better with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through our suffering, we are joined in faith to Him. That when we suffer and we cry out to God, it actually strengthens our faith in Him. It actually brings us closer together with Jesus. And so when we take the opportunity to lament, what we end up getting is more of God. We get more of Jesus, and it brings a balance between the suffering in our lives and the hope that we have in Jesus, that one day Jesus is coming, new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth. It's coming down here, and every tear will be wiped away. All the pain will be gone. All the sorrow will be over, and we will cry out that the dwelling place of God is now with man. And he is our God, and we are his people, which has been God's plan since the beginning. That's what we get. And so in this life, it brings balance between suffering and hope. It doesn't mean that suffering will end. No, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. We all suffer. We all get there. But you have hope. And so your suffering is bearable because the hope you have in Jesus, but if you lose sight of, of the hope, if you don't lament, if you don't cry out to God, if you don't go to him with all the cares that you have, you lose sight of that hope and you lose out and suffering wins. But if you ignore the suffering that you have and you only look at hope, what ends up happening is you don't learn to fully rely on Jesus. You need suffering. Suffering drives us to the Father. And we need our Father. We can't make it through life without him. So you're going to suffer. You following Jesus, you're going to suffer. You're not following Jesus, you're going to suffer. Like, I'm just, you, you, I, don't, I don't care what your relationship with Jesus is like this morning. The world is on fire, has been since the beginning. And we get caught up in that fire. And so we suffer. But the hope that we have comes through Jesus when we trust in and believe in him. Psalm 142.7, final verse says this, bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me for you are good 
to me. You see, his, his mind begins to change. His mind begins to change. Here's the thing about this psalm. I don't know if you saw this, but right there by 142, maybe in your Bible, it says, has the same thing. There's some italicized writing, maybe a little like title-looking thing. It says this. It's a psalm of David regarding his experience in the cave, a prayer. Here's the thing about David's experience in the, in the cave. I don't know if you know this. But in, in, in the books of First and Second Samuel, it chronicles the king ship the, the time of uh, where the prophet Samuel was alive, and, and Saul was anointed king of Israel, and he is king of Israel. And then we know that David becomes king of Israel, and there's a period in David's life where he is anointed king, but he is not king. And David says, I will not strike the Lord's anointed, meaning this, David is not going to lead an uprising because he's been anointed. He's trusting that when the time is right, when the Lord fulfills that time, he will be made king. And until then, he's going to honor who God has anointed as king already. And so during this time, Saul, he finds out that David's been anointed, that people like David more than him, and, and he's tormented by an evil spirit. And during that time, he becomes an enemy of David. He hates David. He tries to kill David on almost every occasion that he can. And at this point in David's life, he is hiding from Saul in a cave. Even to the point where Saul's got him on the run, and David's so deeply hidden in this cave that Saul comes to the cave and is within striking distance of David. David could end his sorrow right there and then, and nobody would know it was him. What an opportunity, right? But David won't do it. He won't strike the Lord's anointed. And so Saul survives in the same cave that David is, is writing this psalm about. And David's perspective at the end, bring me out of prison so I can thank you. Sometimes suffering and the, the trials and the troubles we go through, it feels like prison. It feels like we'll never get out. It feels like what's, what's holding us in and holding us back. But his hope is that God will bring him out of this cave, will bring him out of this prison so that he may thank him. And when that happens, the godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. I will not always be alone. I will one day be surrounded by your people, God. You see the hope that David ends with. You see the place that David has come to. So what do I do when I find myself in a place of lament? You might find yourself there this morning. You, you might have come to church and you didn't really want to come to church, but you got dressed, you got out of bed, and you're here. You may have gotten bad news over the weekend about something. You've, maybe you've got a, a tough uh, situation that you're dealing with wherever you're at. What, what do I do when I find myself in this place? Well, the first thing is this. You've got to be humble. You've got to be humble. You have to admit that you need the Lord. And I'm not talking admit that you're a sinner. Because it's more than that. It's not, that you've, it's not admit that I've done bad things against God. It's more than that. It's God, I, I, I can't save myself. God, I'm running, I'm running out of energy. I'm running out of hope. I'm running out of endurance for this. 
And you've got to be humble enough to admit that. Pride will keep you in a prison. It'll keep you in that cave. But humbly, we recognize that He is God, and we are not. So you got to be humble. Second, you got to be honest. You got to be honest. Don't sugarcoat how rough things have been. You know, we, you, you, we come together and we start to greet one another. Oh, how you been? Oh, I've been, I've been good. I'm okay. And on the inside, you're like breaking down inside. You got to be honest. Because with God, He won. He already knows where you're at. There's no hiding from Him. So be honest. Confess where you find yourself. Confess that life is hard, that you feel surrounded by enemies. As he says, my persecutors are all around me. I look for someone to come and help me, but they don't even care. No one gives me a passing thought. God, this is how I feel. This is where I'm at. This is what reality is. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Why? As Peter tells us, that we are to cast all our anxieties, cast all our cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. He wants to hear it. He wants to know how He can be your Father. And like His child crying out, He wants to meet your need. Thirdly, we got to be hopeful. Be hopeful. Trust that the Lord will respond the author of Hebrews says that hope is, or excuse me, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, right? And so hope is, is something that we know, it may not be real right now, but it will be one day. And, and hope requires faith, it requires that trust, that, that, that it will be made right, because I, I promise you this, one day it will be made right. One day all the disease will be gone. One day all the trouble will be over. One day all the sorrow will be done. And that's our hope. So be hopeful. Trust that he will respond. Like a baby crying out to their father, a good father hears that cry and comes right away. So much so that, that I don't know if you remember this as a young parent, but you start to recognize the difference in the cries of your child, right? The wet I need change cry is a little different than the I'm hungry cry. It's a little different than the I'm tired cry and the I'm angry cry as they get a little bit older, right? The Father knows. He knows what you need. And you're crying out. He's ready to respond. The fourth thing is, and finally, is show honor. Show honor. And I apologize that that's not another B. It, it, it really tore me up. I wanted four Bs, but... I just couldn't figure out a way to do it. Because here's the thing. When we show honor, what's happening is we're letting our lament turn to songs of praise. You see, it's, it's, we, we sing song, Christ is my firm foundation. That's been a song that's been on repeat in my, my heart and my mind the last few weeks. Even when I, when I don't really want it to admit that, that Christ is my firm foundation. But it's, it's, it's those times of crying out, God, this is what's going on in my life. 
And as I cry out to him, I see him for who he is. I begin to trust him more. I begin to align with Jesus and, and understand his suffering a little bit more. And, and it allows my, my song to turn from complaining and crying out to songs of praise. When your baby cries out, when you change that diaper or they get a good nap or they're well fed, what's afterwards? The joy of being a parent. The joy of being a parent. The smiles. The cooing. The steps. The, the riding the bike for the first time, right? Like it, it, it all goes together. And it takes our lament, our crying out to God when we don't feel like He's being and holding end, up His end of the deal because life is hard. But when we see God for who he is, we see him as our father and he steps in in his fatherly way. Those songs of lament turn to songs of praise. And, and, and he says, I will be surrounded by the godly. The godly will crowd around me for you are good to me. And here's what happens. Your period of lament turns into a testimony for somebody else to give praise to God. So that when they are suffering, they may know, I can cry out to the Lord and he will be faithful like he was for them. And what ends up happening is your story is used to bring him glory. That's what the psalm is getting at. We give glory to God because, Saul, because David was stuck in a cave and could have killed his enemy and ended all his trouble, but instead he trusted in the Lord that one day he would be surrounded by the godly again and they would give praise to him because God would be good to him. And that's what God wants to do with your life. And that's what God wants to do with my life. And it takes understanding that what we go through and the trials we're struggling with and the trouble that we face is not so great that God can't get glory out of it, that God won't care for us in it. None of that is true. So when you don't know what else to do, cry out to God, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and the promises of your word. We thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have given us hope and a future that God is secure in you. And so I pray this morning for the person that's in, our, in this room, God, who maybe is experiencing life like I have experienced life and, and, and people around me have experienced life where it's been hard and they have been suffering and they have struggled to maintain their faith. But I pray, God, that they would be humble enough to admit that they need you, not just need you for salvation, but need you for life. They need your care. They need your tenderness. They need your arms holding them up and to see that you are there to catch them if they're falling. I pray, God, that you would allow us to recognize you. I thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have in him that one day he is going to make all things new and everything will be made right and we won't suffer anymore. But until then, may we trust confidently in your love, God, in the love that we know is real through Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, that just as certain as Jesus is, ar is arisen from that grave, that he is alive today, just as certain as that, 
is the love of our Father. And we can cast all our cares on you, for you care for us. We love you. We thank you for your word. Would you be honored in our worship as we continue to praise you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.